welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. All right, welcome to the first episode of the Vive Mental Health Podcast. My name is Christopher, and I will be your host, your guide, and your liaison through all things mental health. Now, before we get started, I want to take a moment to explain a bit of my mental health philosophy, as well as my, my vision for this podcast. So this is as much of a personal journey as it is an educational one, and I'll be sharing a lot of my own personal experiences with you, as well as seeking out and, most importantly, understanding the answers to questions that I have asked, uh, questions I still have, and questions that you have. This series is going to be very fluid. We're going to adapt and expand on things as we go, and we're going to chip away at a wide variety of mental health topics in a lot of different ways. I don't like to sit still for too long, so I don't expect you to either. I'm, I'm hoping these episodes are going to be fairly short and succinct. I like to keep things interesting. I like to go in depth, and we're going to be talking to a lot of different people, which has me very excited about where all of these topics will take us. So let's start off by addressing, I guess, the big question. What is mental health? Because I think we need a home base. So as a reference point, let's, let's use physical health as, as kind of our home base to start off with. Now, when we think of our physical health, we think about our skin and muscles and bones and tissues and organs and our, our nervous system, which regulates and controls how those systems interact, and our immune system, which controls our ability to fight off and prevent infections and disease. We can also talk about what we put into our bodies, such as our, our diet and, and other things like alcohol and drugs, since these are the things that power uh, or inhibit us and they have a direct impact on our, on our physical well-being. So defining physical health seems pretty straightforward. Now, how, how do we go about defining our mental health? Because our mental health isn't really something as tangible. We can't hold it or feel it or perform surgery on it. Now, the brain itself may be a part of our physical body, but inside our minds lies our sense of self. We possess emotions, feelings, and memories. And the really special bit is the unique way in which we wire all of those things together to present our unique conscious self. Think of mental health as sort of our emotional inventory. We add to it and subtract from it all the time. And at any given moment, we can assess what we have, what we're missing, what's useful, and what isn't. So let's say our heart, like our proverbial heart, the one that we fall in love with and do crazy stuff because of, Let's say our heart and our mind got together and decided to rent out a big warehouse to store all of your feelings, emotions, and memories. And they gave you the keys, of course, because you're the boss, so you can pop in at any time and see what's happening. Now, when you walk in, you flick the lights on, you're standing in the middle of this giant warehouse that is you. Well, you guessed it. It's going to be incredibly overwhelming and intimidating and even scary. Now, our minds and our hearts are very efficient at storing away many different things, sometimes things that we wish they weren't so attached to. And if we tried to comprehend and understand, or to put it another way, like take inventory of them all at once, I think most of us would throw up our hands, turn out the lights, and walk right out. It was that overwhelming feeling that I encountered personally when I began my own mental health journey, and that feeling was a big reason why I started the Vive Initiative. 
I am wired to think in big ways, in big concepts, and when I started to take a look inside my own warehouse, I couldn't help but see everything all at once. It was daunting. I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to sift through all of this. Where do I even start? So when I say that I want to change the way we talk about mental health, I mean two things. Number one is that just like how we have physical bodies that we need to take care of, we have mental health that we need to take care of. There are some things that we may feel are best taken care of privately, like say between you and your doctor, but there are also other areas where we can and I think we should learn from and support each other and have kind of a collective solution to those types of things. Like like when we get together to play sports or like each other's gym selfies or do crazy 30-day fitness challenges, that kind of community attitude I think is incredibly important. Humans succeed because we band together. We tend to encourage each other to live better and make healthier choices. And we like to see our kids growing up active and participating in different activities. I think our mental health can flourish with the same attitude because in a way it's, it's almost a benefit that, that socially the concept of mental health is a little bit behind physical health because we can draw on a lot of comparisons and learn from the successes and mistakes that have been made en route to our physical health becoming such a priority in our lives today. The other benefit I see in changing the whole mental health conversation is through education, specifically how we're going to school about all of this. Now, there are a ton of resources out there. There's numbers you can call, therapists you can book to see, charts and and graphs and stats and memes and Instagram accounts you can follow, and those are all incredibly important. But there's still a gap between actually having the desire to seek those things out when we need them and actually doing the thing and finding that desire and willingness to go to that mental gym to work out those kinks. That gap exists because, ironically enough, it's our, it's our mental self, our mental state that actually prevents us from building a bridge to cross over it. Now, building a bridge takes work. Sometimes it takes a lot of work. And we tend to ask ourselves, why, why work when I can just stay over here, keep my head down, and hope the water doesn't rise anymore? I get it. I've been there. When the going gets tough, we're already feeling tired and defeated. We often convince ourselves that we can just endure and suppress and survive. But life isn't just about survival. Survival is the bare minimum that we ask of ourselves. We can not only survive but we can revive our sense of self and pull ourselves back from trauma or stress or anxiety. And those two words, survive and revive, are where the name Vive comes from. Okay, so I'd like to pause here for a moment and just recognize that not everyone will relate to these types of analogies, and that's okay. There may be some of you who are thinking, Chris, my mind is not a warehouse, and that's okay, I get it. It's important to be cognizant of the fact that we are all different and we're going to all need to take a slightly different path to get where we need to go. We're going to need different tools and and my goal is to present you with a wide variety of tools and just show you how to use them and tell you exactly where to find them. If you happen to find yourself with a tool that you may not need yourself, hang on to it because someone someday just may need to borrow it and that sense of being able to take care of each other is going to be very important in not only our own individual mental health, but the mental health of our entire society. My hope is that this podcast can teach 
a sense of community and a sense of communication when it comes to mental health so that not everything is compartmentalized as far as the, the discussion and the understanding of mental health goes. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this, this is a very personal journey for me, and I'd like to share with you the main reason as to why I came to be so passionate about mental health. I'm going to be honest with you. This part of the episode has proven to be the most difficult for me to record. Um, I've spent a lifetime keeping certain aspects of my life to myself, and it was only a short number of years ago that I began my own healing journey and sharing my truth with family and close friends. I also need to add that if you're, if you're sensitive to hearing about certain traumatic events, you're, you're welcome to fast forward through the next few minutes here. So when I was 15, I, I had just started at a brand new high school. Um, my family had just moved over the summer. I was forced to, to kind of leave my friends from the city that I grew up with behind, and I was starting totally fresh. I didn't, I didn't know a soul. But going in, even though I was, I was terrified, I was, I was a pretty outgoing kid. I was smart. I played guitar. I loved drama. Um, I could make people laugh. I played hockey. You know, I, I could be around people. So I was, I was fairly confident that I'd make friends soon enough. So one day after school, some, some kids and I were hanging out around the gym, which had, which had been left open. And, and being the new guy, I was, I was kind of getting the gears a little bit. Now, I, I grew up playing hockey. I was, I was used to a little hazing and was going along with it, you know, the best I could. I was, I was trying to fit in typical teenager stuff. And as I walked back to the locker room, I, I was pushed down from behind um, in, into the locker room itself. And, you know, I could hear them laughing. And then somebody climbed up on my, on my arms and legs and, and I was pinned down and I, I couldn't move. And it, it went from, you know, rough housing and then just kind of getting it a little bit. And then, and then it escalated and it, and it got worse and they they sexually assaulted me and my my memory of of that moment that that event I mean it it happened so fast some some victims of trauma have it seared into their brains but for me all I remember was how it felt I I remember feeling scared and I remember the physical pain but I don't I don't remember much about the event itself, uh, like maybe a, a pair of shoes that, that one of them was wearing, maybe. I, like, I, I don't know if I ever knew those things for sure. Um, it, it happened fast. It, it started off not as that and then became that and then stopped and they left. And at the time, my, my brain was trying to rationalize what was going on. I think, I think at one point I even tried to laugh to try to normalize it as as these guys just being weird, mean boys to me. Um, but, uh, it f- fucked me up and it, it fucked me up for a long time. Uh, I, I didn't tell anybody for a long, long time. Um, I just couldn't, I was so embarrassed and m- mortified. And I think I think I skipped school the next day or two and just, and just stayed, stayed in my room. I, you know, I'd pretend to go to school and then sneak back in once my parents left for work. And I, I didn't sleep for a couple nights. And when I finally did sleep, I remember, I remember having like the worst nightmare, but it wasn't about 
that. It, it wasn't about what happened. It was, it was other things. It was my teeth falling out or, or being suffocated or being humiliated, you know, things like that. Dreams, dreams like that, um, I ended up having, you know, off and on for, for the rest of my life, still up until today. And they'd happen like clockwork um, with, with real vividness and to the point where they would affect my waking life. And I, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed some days, or, or if I did, I would get so stoned that I would just go back to bed. And, and these dreams, you know, they, they cost me numerous jobs and relationships and served as a, a recurring catalyst for, for bouts of, of deep depression. Um, it got so bad at one point that I, I attempted suicide in my early 20s. A question that I've asked myself many, many times over the years is why didn't I say something sooner? Why didn't I say anything at the time? Um, and I, I have many answers for that. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to talk about it. I, I was embarrassed. I was, I was humiliated. I felt shame. Like I, I questioned my own sexuality. Um, it was very complex and it was easier to suppress those things and to outwardly build up, um, a wall. And I was already, I was a good performer. I, I love to perform for people uh, through music or acting or whatever. I could put on a strong, a strong demeanor and, and, and project that and, and people wouldn't be able to see past that. And that served me well. It, it was, it was a very thick protective coat. Um, but I had, I had a lot festering underneath and, you know, I was, I was raised like many, many young boys were, I was raised to be, to be tough, to tough it out and, and man up and push through. And I remember I, I tore my shoulder. I tore my labrum and my rotator cuff in the first practice of the year in my final hockey season. And it was so bad that it would dislocate when I was, when I was combing my hair, brushing my teeth or, or putting a shirt on, you know, like my shoulder would just fall out of its socket. And it was like blinding pain each time. I didn't even know how to, how to, properly like put it back in I just sort of moved it around and you know like grinding and then pulling on the thing until it did the thing and it, you know this happened dozens and dozens of times I played that entire hockey season like that I you know I'd pop my shoulder back in sometimes once or twice a game because I was I was named captain that year and I wanted to be a strong leader I thought that physical toughness you know showing that I could I could tough through things would made me a strong leader. And I think that I, I translated that into emotional toughness as well. Those lessons about being tough, you know, I, to be honest, I, I think at times they, they did serve me well. And I, I do believe that there's, there's something to be said for exploring your own limitations and, and celebrating perseverance, but in a, in a healthy way. The difference was I, I was able to have surgery on my shoulder that summer, and, and that was something that a surgeon could just go in and fix. But this, this emotional, nightmare-fueled cycle that I was now in, and, and with the dreams and, and the PTSD, that was something I wasn't able to push through. And I, I could only suppress it for a while until, you know, inevitably it would rear its, its ugly head again, and, and the snake would eat its own tail. And, and that cycle just continued. So about, about seven years ago, I, I decided it was, it was time to change. I, I'd lived my life long enough with this, with this tick, with this thing that adversely affected my life. And 
I finally sought help. I'm going to spend some time talking about that process because there, there is a process between recognizing there's a problem and doing something about it. There, there's a, a timeline in there. There are steps that I had to take to get myself prepared to take what, what many people think of as step one, which is just asking for help. There's, there's way more to it than that. And that's, that's a really important part of the conversation for me to address because I think, I think sometimes we, we too readily, we, you know, we're good at recognizing when somebody may be in need. Um, some people are even good at expressing that they need assistance, but a lot of the time there, there isn't you know, a, a, a process that we can kind of follow when we're in that state of mind, when we're so vulnerable to get us to making that call or, or booking that appointment or, or articulating or, or writing down in words even what's wrong, what's, what's going on. And, and that's, that's going to be its own episode because I think it's such a crucial step in helping people feel comfortable with, you know, the, the path between recognizing that there's an issue and, and, and doing something about it and feeling good about doing something. So you're willing to, you want to, and you, you understand that if I do this hard thing, that there's a benefit waiting for me on the other side. So despite the trauma that I experienced, despite having these, these horrific nightmares at times and this PTSD and these, this shame and this guilt that they kind of went along with something that happened many years ago, um, it, it affected me a lot in my early 20s, um, and we'll, we'll get into that into another episode. I, I have a lot of stories to tell, but they're all going to relate to different aspects of, of how I ended up finding my own path to, to kind of healing. And, and that journey, for me, it'll never end. And I, I think if we kind of accept that mental health is an ongoing thing that we have to maintain, um, we, can, we can go into our warehouse and kind of address the worst the worst aspects of it and, and start in the, the dirtiest corner and, and start cleaning it up. But like, it's, it's important not to think of it as, as, as a one-time thing. It's not one job to do. It's an, it's an ongoing maintenance thing. And it's, it's, it's become a point of pride to kind of address things as they come up, um, to really feel like I'm, I'm making progress emotionally and, and progress in my, in my life. So in my mid-20s, I got my journeyman ticket. I put myself through trade school. You know, I, I made amends with my parents and my, my family got closer. Um, you know, I fixed my credit. I bought a car. I could hold down meaningful relationships. I, I coped fairly well. And that's something that, that humans are good at, um, almost, almost to a fault, because I, was still, I, I could still feel this thread being pulled on me. And, and like I said, you know, I, I still lost jobs because of, of being absent from work because I, I just couldn't get out of bed some days. And, and I had, you know, friendships and relationships fail because I just, I wasn't emotionally ready each day to, to kind of accept who I was. So about seven years ago, I, I decided, you know what, enough's enough. I'm, I'm, I'm like a f fully functional adult, but I want to be more. And I was feeling a little bit inspired to kind of get rid of this thing that this thread that was, you know, pulling me back a little bit. So I, I looked up, uh, you know, different ways that I could, I could see counselors and therapists. And I, had, I discovered right away that therapy is very expensive and my income at the time was, was, wasn't great, but I found a therapist named, named Jorge 
who offered to put me on a sliding scale um, because in the email I'd kind of explained where I was coming from, what I was dealing with, and the dreams and everything. And he said, you know what, I think um, I, I want to see you. I, I think I, I want to help you kind of get around this. So I booked that first appointment and I canceled it. I was terrified. I rebooked with him and I canceled that one too. But the third time I went and I kept my appointment. I was, I was so scared and I remember I was just shaking in the parking lot. I got there about 10 minutes early. I had 10 minutes to just vibrate because I knew that I was going to have to tell someone this story. And I had literally never told anyone before. So I walk in and he was the nicest guy and he could see <laughs> this. I'm kind of there again right now as I'm talking to you. Um, he could see the fear in my eyes and, you know, he, he put me at ease right away. He sat me down and he said, okay, where do you want to start? And I said, I got to tell you this thing. And I just started talking and it took me about almost the full hour to tell. And I was a mess. I was, I was, I was crying. I was, I was sobbing. I, I could barely get the words out and I relived this whole thing. And this, I'm not telling you this to, to discourage anybody who may be dealing with trauma that, you know, how, how difficult it was or, or how scary it was. The point I'm trying to make is that that all happened. That was, that was a big release for me. And he offered to, to extend our appointment for another hour um, to kind of let me process what I had told him and to, to let him talk to me a little bit. So when I left, um, I'd felt relief that I'd never felt before. And as, as shitty as it was to have to cry and, and kind of relive this stuff, I can't express in, in words how cathartic and how relieving it was that someone else on earth knew my story and how important that felt. I have to, uh, I have to pause here for a second. Um, it was very powerful. It was a very powerful, life-changing moment. And, um, okay, I got to throw in a quick edit here. Hold on. Like I said before, this is, this is a very, this is me. This is, this is very real. Um, anyway, we were, we were talking about therapy. Um, man, <laughs> It was really good. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was very difficult at the time. Um, but like immediately after I, I did feel like a huge relief, a, a huge weight coming off my shoulders. And for anybody who, who may be listening to this, who, who hasn't been yet, and maybe you have something that, you know, like deep inside that it would feel good to like talk about and, and just to flesh out. Um, I'm telling you do it. Like it's hard. And like I would, email me. <laughs> I will, I will talk you through it. I will help you book that appointment and I will try to talk you out of canceling the first two, <laughs> but it, it really, your brain is such a powerful thing. And, and, you know, you could, you could probably hear it in my voice. Like it, it was, it was emotionally such a huge relief and I, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. And I, I went back uh, many times and we kind of talked it through and, and, you know, he said, you know, like maybe it would be good for you to, to pick one person in your, in your family or your close circle to, to kind of talk to. And, 
and and make it real you know everything between us here is secret and that's important but when you're ready um you know you can you can be this too and and this is something that you don't have to feel ashamed of and and it's it's a part of you it's helped shape you and he made me realize that you know i am a i'm a very compassionate person and i'm very empathetic and i i love helping people that's that's my favorite thing to do i you know when i when i played hockey i was the assist guy i loved to pass and and somebody else can can score and i love that i just love making others better and i think that um you know this trauma it really it really helped shape that because i could empathize you know i i learned how to empathize with myself you know internally but it i also expressed it outwardly and i had a lot of amazing people come into my life because I I showed them that I cared and that I'm willing to lift them up and so out of all this uh this trauma and and darkness and these dreams you know out out came this this man who you know I I really give a shit about people I really care and and this podcast is an extension of that um I'm hoping to put out information and and an attitude that that will inspire people and help people kind of see themselves um you know see their self-worth and to see that investment in in your own mental health is is so good and it will affect, you know, the people around you in your life. It'll it'll lift them up too and and we could just we could just do that. So that that is my why. That is kind of how I came to be here and why I left my my Red Seal trade behind. Um, you know, back in November, I was I was laid off from work and I decided, you know what? Um I've been, you know, tweeting uh, mental health stuff for the last year and a half. I've been using music. Um, like I'm a musician. I, I played in a band for, you know, the better part of 10 years. Uh, that intro music that you heard at the beginning of the podcast, that's my band. That's no witness. <laughs> so, um, music is very near and dear to me. So I've been trying to use that to, you know, to get some advocacy out there and, and just, just getting creative with how we have this conversation. And when I find resources, you know, people who are trained and, and people who, you know, this is their life. This is their career. I want to bring them in and and let them speak in a way that we can we can understand. And I just started university. I'm studying psychology. Um, you know, with the hopes of being an, uh, a counselor one day. And uh, I'm going to use my own education. I'm going I'm going to pass along what I'm learning as well. But I'm really interested in this stuff, and I want to come at it from a bunch of different ways. I want to use you know pop culture and and social media. And, and real life stories. I want to hear from you too. Because the more that we can relate to each other, the more that we feel like, you know what, someone else out there has kind of been what I've been through, or someone else out there has felt what I'm feeling. That's the kind of connection that will build the bridge between I'm going to suppress this one more day and see what tomorrow brings. And it's going to bridge us to be able to say, you know what, I don't have to suppress anymore. I can take steps. I can be proactive and I can be a better person tomorrow because I did the hard thing, because I got help. So today we kind of broke down mental health into a few different analogies. We compared it to physical health. We talked about the warehouse analogy. We talked about the tools analogy. And I think that gives us a pretty good place to start as far as how we're going to dissect mental health and how we're going to approach it so that we can understand it better. Now, before we go, I want to do something a little bit unique because, as I said before, I'm a musician. Uh, I played in a band. I did the indie scene for a long time. 
So I wanted to use this platform as, as a way that I can help showcase an indie artist. So we're going to do a different indie artist each week as the outro music to the podcast. So this week's artist is Haley K. Turner. You can find her music at HaleyKTurner.com. You can find her on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple, all the things. She's a fantastic vocalist. And the song that I'm going to be featuring today is called As I Am. And lastly, I want to thank you so, so much for being with me at the beginning of this mental health journey and the whole Vive initiative. Uh, It means so much to me. So if you liked what you heard, please subscribe. And if you're on Apple, please leave a comment and a rating. You can email me at any time with any questions or suggestions or your own stories at vivementalhealth at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at vivementalhealth as well as facebook.com slash vivementalhealth, and of course, YouTube. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and here is Haley K. Turner with As I Am. We'll see you next week.